lesson. So Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 16 through 18 in our Bibles. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And then we'll have a word of prayer together. So Jesus said, beginning in, in verse 16, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces. You need to turn this down a little bit. I'm getting a ringing. Steve? Oh, he's listening to me. Let me start again. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Well, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Let's pray. Lord, we ask. Okay. So on your handout, uh, so, so anyhow, before we even look at this, fasting, we, we, you hear very, very little preaching about or teaching about fasting and the purpose of fasting. And, um, but it's found in the Bible. And we're going to look, look at some things today and see uh, what it's all about and why it's mentioned in the Bible and why Jesus uh, speaks about it and the apostles also. Not too much in the epistles, though you'll find very little in, in any of the epistles about fasting. Uh, but you do see it here in the Gospels. So on your handout, the introduction, the word fast literally signifies to abstain from food and drink. So whether from necessity or as a religious observance. So in other words, some, some people, for health reasons, they fast. So I'm sure you've heard about people who have like a juice fast. Um, uh, I, years ago, um, I, had, uh, I had, was afflicted with gout. And that's uh, very painful if you've ever had that. When you get that, they tell you, to fast with just drink a lot of water or uh, grapefruit juice as well, or cran cranberry juice, cleanse your system. Uh, so that's kind of a health fast. We're not really talking about a health fast today, and I don't think there's anything wrong with fasting for health reasons. Uh, we're talking about fasting for spiritual reasons and what, um, what the Bible says about that. So, again, on your handout. So, the religious observance of fasting was practiced often by the Pharisees. In fact, uh, usually at least twice weekly. But the Pharisees had many superstitions about fasting. They fasted in order to have lucky dreams, to obtain the interpretation of dreams, to avert the evil import of a dream. They also fasted often in order to obtain things that they wished for. But true fasting is an expression of a genuine principle of piety of heart. And it's reflected in the humbling of the soul. That's, that's the whole purpose of it from a spiritual point of view. In other words, it's, a, it's also an opportunity for you to have control over your own fleshly nature. So when we're talking about fasting, we're, we're basically we're talking about not, not eating. Uh, Jesus fasted, if you remember, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And I'm not suggesting that you fast for 40 days or 40 nights. That would be very difficult to do. Um, 
And most people, uh, when they fast, well, we'll talk a little bit about that in just a minute. But notice it on your handout, Matthew 9, 14. The Bible says, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? So I thought that was kind of interesting because john the, that's John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the disciples of John the Baptist, they fasted. And, uh, but the disciples, when they were with Jesus, they asked, how come they fast, but we don't fast? And, um, uh, and, I, and I, this, is a, that's, this is a whole other lesson for another time. But Jesus basically said, while I'm with you, there's, there's no need for you to fast. Uh, but there's a time that fasting will be important for you. And should be, I think it should be observed. Or in Luke chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other, other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So we're going to see as we look at this that the attitude that this Pharisee had is the exact attitude that Jesus says you're not supposed to have. And uh, he was kind of building himself up, was this Pharisee, because of what he was doing. And he wanted all men to recognize what was going on in his life. He, 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 he wanted to, to kind of build him, himself up. And that was pretty common amongst many of the Pharisees. They did a lot of these things, as we'll see in the scriptures, to gain attention. So, but I want you to notice this in your Bibles, in Matthew, the, the context of Matthew 6, 6, 16 through 18. And let's begin from the beginning of the chapter and uh, just kind of read some things here. But as we get into it, <clears throat> the first point on my handout with regards to fasting, to the, uh, of abstaining from food per se, uh, and there are other types of fast you can abstain from as well, but Let's just kind of zero in on that today. Um, there's a corrupt motive. And um, that's part of what Jesus is saying here. Be careful not to have a corrupt motive for fasting. Um, so let's begin in verse 1. Jesus says this, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. So what are alms, just in case somebody here doesn't know? Somebody tell me, when Jesus says here, take heed that you do not your alms before men. What is that, alms? Okay, yep. Yes? Your tithes, yes? Could be, could be other things too, but what? Or giving, so any kind of giving. So when Jesus says this here, take heed that you do not your alms before men. So number one, there's an expectation of Jesus of giving, right? We can, we can make that conclusion because he's saying when you do this, uh, then he says, otherwise you have no reward of your father, which is in heaven. And you're going to see this pattern throughout these next several verses. These things that you do... These are things between you and the Lord, and these are things that you're not looking to gain attention uh, with regards to what you're doing. The spiritual aspect of this. 
Therefore, verse 2, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. So I'll just stop there. So apparently, when he says, do not sound a trumpet, I don't know if, that, if he's talking figuratively or literally here, uh, but I can imagine some wealthy people, perhaps, that could afford trumpet players or whatever, just for everyone to know that this is what they're doing, and they were making a big scene out of, out of all of this. Um, As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that thou may glorify, be glorified of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And so what would that reward be? It would be an earthly reward. That would be the recognition of people. But when thou doest alms, let not, and by the way, if you read the word not, you find it numerous times, not, don't do this. Let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So the giving of alms or the giving, whether it's your tithes, your monies, the expectation of it is there. Jesus said, well, I expect you to do this, but don't do this in such a way that you're making a scene where everyone notices. And then he picks it up in verse 5, and he says this, And when thou prayest, now he moves from alms to praying, and again, corrupt motives. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. So let's stop here. So is it wrong to stand and pray? No. But the point is they're standing and um, they're standing so people see them. They're making a big deal out of all of this. That they may be seen of men. Verily, verily, I say, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So the context here, again, of corrupt motives. First, he talks about almsgiving. You don't give for people to see what you're giving and to make a big deal out of it. You don't, when you pray, there's certainly nothing wrong with standing up and praying before people. But the context of a lot of this is your private life, your personal life. And when you pray, do you have a prayer closet? And this uh, could be either figurative or literal. It's that place where you go and you spend time with the Lord in prayer. So again, there's some expectations here. Don't miss this part of the lesson. Jesus expects almsgiving. He expects also a prayer time in your life. And, you know, I'm not asking for a raise of hand or anything, but do you have a prayer closet? A place where you go and spend time with the Lord in prayer, other than coming to the Lord's house. And um, like, for instance, uh, in the, I think it's in the book of Acts, where Peter, he would go up onto the rooftop and he would pray there. That was his place to pray. Where is your, where is your place each day to spend time with the Lord in prayer? That's what a prayer closet is. 
That's the expectations here. Who was it? Uh, see if I can remember this quote. Uh, it was um, Matthew Henry that wrote, it's as, likely, it's as likely that you'll find a living being who's not breathing then you will find a Christian who's not praying. Did you get that? It's as likely that you'll find a human being that's not breathing as you'll find a Christian who's not spending time in prayer. It's just part of who we are, right? It's supposed to be part of, part of who, who we are. So, there's the, so again, the corrupt motive. The corrupt motive for almsgiving is for people to see. The corrupt motive of prayer Jesus uh, is bringing these points here. That it's a it's a time that you it's, that you spend with the Lord. Um, look on your handout. There's there's numerous examples that Jesus gives about corrupt motives in the Bible. Luke fourteen eleven. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humble himself shall be exalted. Whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humble himself shall be exalted. It's part of a parable that Jesus taught. And the parable, see if uh, any of you can remember this parable in the Bible. It has to do with a wedding. And anybody can tell me the parable of the wedding. What, what is the context of chapter 14 and verse 11? What's the context of that there? Whosoever shall be exalted shall be abased. He that is humbled shall be exalted. Anybody remember that parable in the Bible? Yes, Jim. Uh, there was the parable where the uh, bridegroom had prepared the wedding and everything get where the bride and the guest didn't show up. No, that's not, it, that's a, that is a parable, but that's not this parable. There's another parable with a wedding. Well, it has to do, with, yeah, I'll just give you a quick hint, it's the highest room and the lowest room. And so, if, that, if you don't know that parable, it's when you go to the wedding that um, Jesus is teaching, well, you shouldn't be looking for the place of position at the wedding. Uh, if the, if the, those who are officiating the wedding invite you to the highest room, then okay. Uh, but really, just humble yourself. Go to the lowest, to go to the lowest room or the lowest table. But if they invite you to come, then come. It's, it's that whole aspect of Jesus and, and the whole idea of you and I are just to be, just to be humble believers, humble servants. And um, be careful of, of, of corrupt Corrupt motives. In fact, look over and take your Bibles if you want to go to Matthew chapter number 23 in our Bibles. Matthew 23. He also brings this point in Matthew chapter 23 and in verse number 12. Same thing. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he, shall, uh, he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. The context of this, if you back up, look at verse 
1 of chapter 23. Then, then spake Jesus to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not, be move, will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries. Well, what's a phylactery? Anybody know what that is? A phylactery. It'd be good if we knew what these things are. They make broad their phylacteries. We don't really use that word. Well, what, however you say it, <laughs> how do you say it then? Phylacteries. You're saying phylacteries. Phylacteries. All right. It doesn't matter how you say it. What does it mean? I guess it does matter how you say it. Phylacteries. What is it? I would assume it's some sort of stuff they, they wear. You would assume correctly. And uh, it was their, their dress. They were quite... Um, uh, they wanted to be seen. Yes. There you go. So I didn't know that, and uh, I wasn't. I should have looked that up myself. I, I, I'm sure I probably knew that in the past, but at this age, I forget more than I remember. So, um, and they enlarge the border of their garments. Did I say that word garments correctly? Is that, uh, all right. <laughs> Anyhow, it's all for show, and uh, they really, and they love the uppermost rooms at the feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and the greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. I, I was at camp once, and I have a friend of mine who, uh, he was really, been in the ministry longer than I have, and he was really upset, because um, a lot of the young preachers were calling him by his first name. And uh, he was, kind of, maybe I shouldn't say really upset. He was just bothered by it. And uh, so him and I have known each other a long time. And I said, so what's the deal? You know, what's the big deal? Uh, and I, he, he was just bothered by it. And uh, he thought that they should address him because of his seniority I don't know, in the, in the Bible, Paul is always called Paul, right? Uh, and so uh, he's, and he's, he's a great man of faith, and, he's, and God has used him. And so preachers have their own issues. Uh, and so they uh, have to deal with these things. So I'm sure, he, and he's gotten over it. And so anyhow, um, but that's the whole point here. They love to be called rabbi, rabbi. Um, and call no, and then in verse nine, and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be called masters for your masters, but he that is greatest. Look at verse eleven. He that is greatest among you shall be your what? Your servant. Yes, Jim. Yeah, we just found out. Jimmy told us. You were looking it up while she was telling us what it meant. So, and it's phylacteries, not phylacteries, or whatever I said. Phylacteries. It's phylacteries. So, my son corrected me, and good for him. 
And, uh, you know, I'm not above being corrected. So, two years of college. Oh, you got it. Uh, very good. Now be quiet. <laughs> but anyhow, the whole point of this first point, it's just, all of these are corrupt motives. Well, people are doing these things. Uh, Jesus was warning against all of these things. It's a false piety. Okay, and so that's the context of what we have here uh, with regards to um, our text, which is verses 16 through 18, and the whole idea of fasting. Not to be as the, the hypocrites, verse 16 again, look at it, of a sad countenance. In other words, they, they disfigured their face. They kind of, they walked around, they were fasting, but they walked around so everybody knew that they were fasting. And the whole idea of fasting, setting time apart, uh, to, and, and we'll see the, we'll see the, the right motives in, 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 by the time we're done with this, but just so that we understand, to set a time where you're not eating, you're just spending time in prayer, um, and spending uh, private time with the Lord, uh, it's, it's between you and the Lord. It's not for everybody else to kind of see what's going on. Um, and, but this is what they were doing. They were making a whole show of this. And we should be careful of whatever we do for the Lord, that it's not because we're making a big show out of this. Um, so they had a corrupt motive for why they were doing this. And whether it's, again, almsgiving or prayer, make sure your motives are not corrupt in what you do. Then, if you look on the back of your handout, sometimes people have a confused motive. I mean, a confused motive is someone who, uh, they're not necessarily looking for people to look at them. They actually think that perhaps they're doing the right thing. They're genuine, as, as the, the old saying goes, but they're, or they're sincere, but unfortunately, they're sincerely wrong. It's not lining up with what the scriptures have to say. Um, and, and remember, too, as we get into near this, the third part of this, we'll see that um, whatever we do, it's not, uh, we don't do, we don't do anything we can't gain any merit with God. And so this kind of confused motive is trying to gain some merit with God. And just like when our sins aren't forgiven because we're good people, right? Our sins are forgiven because Jesus was the perfect person. And he died and he paid for our sin on the cross. There's nothing that you and I can do to gain any merit with God. It's all through what Jesus did for us. So to fast or to pray or to give alms or whatever, to come to church, uh, to try to gain merit or favor with God, which many people do, is a confused motive. It's just confused. It's not what the scriptures teach. Um, Paul wrote this to, in Romans on your handout. Look what he said here. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And here he's talking about the Jewish people, his own people. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Do you know people like that? Do, do, do you know people, that maybe family members or friends, they have a zeal of God, but their, their zeal is contrary to what the Bible teaches? 
They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. These are confused motives. Look back in our text. Look at uh, verse 7 of uh, chapter number 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And when ye pray, verse 7, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard of their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what you have need of before you ask him. So Jesus warns with re us with regards to vain repetitious prayer. Let me ask you, is it wrong to pray the same prayer more than one time? So some of you are shaking your head. So somebody tell me why. It's true. It is not wrong. Yes? Because praying the same prayer and praying in vain you got to speak, you're exactly right, but speak louder because they'll have a hard time hearing you. Praying in vain is, is like repeating the Lord's Prayer, whereas praying the same thing just means that you're asking for guidance or you're um, asking the same thing in sincerity. Okay, so, yes, go ahead. Um, when you pray in vain, you've lost like, the meaning behind the prayer. You're just saying it and it's becoming a part of a. Of a all right, so if you didn't hear, he said, it's, if you pray in vain, it just becomes a habit. Uh, there's, there's nothing really meaningful behind it. I see other hand. Yes? It's not a genuine, it's not genuine in the sense, okay, right, same thing. Yes? Well, in the Bible, it talks, Jesus did a parable about the lady who went before the judge and keep going and asking Yes, that's correct. But Mike did say this, though, that if you pray the Lord's Prayer, is it wrong to pray the Lord's Prayer repetitively? What would be, what would be the right way to do it? Yeah, with sincerity. If you, were, if you had a sincere heart and you prayed the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, then if there's a genuineness behind it, then, but what? But what's the danger? So the danger is you could do it over and over and over again, and all of a sudden, then it just becomes vain. That's the key word here, vain. And uh, there's an emptiness to it. That's not genuine. It's not heartfelt. It's not searching out and seeking God through all of this. Actually, there's there's uh, in the scriptures it talks of Jesus uh, praying repetitively. So uh, three times he prayed, it says um, in the Gospels. So the idea behind confused motives um, is, and, and by the way, in the Psalms, if you read through the Psalms, like often when I pray, I, I'm thankful for the Lord's mercy and for his grace. You see, a, you see a repetitiveness in the Psalms sometimes with regards to that. So Good, all of you, you have that understanding. So 
But based, so then, before we move on to the last point, um, but why do people do that? Those people who have a confused motive. Why? What's the, what's the um, emphasis behind what they're doing? What's the motive behind why they're doing it over again and over again and over again and over again? Yes? Well, as a Catholic, a lot of people did that thing that if you prayed enough, that for some reason, if you, if you prayed enough or you knew enough or you could recite enough, it was good enough. In, in all reality, it's just like the rosary and the beads. It's like if you do enough and you say enough and you show enough, it's good enough. In their minds. Yes. Praying with your mind and not your heart. Yes. Praying with your mind and not your heart. Sure. What else? Anything else? So an S. Yes, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, in the, in the book of James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The fervency of prayer, the, the, the heart motive um, with regards to it. I always, whenever I think of that verse, when I was in college, I worked at a restaurant. And uh, so for a short time, I worked till closing, till like one o'clock in the morning. And I remember leaving one night, driving on my way home. And as I'm driving down the street, there's a house that's on fire. And uh, so I got out of the car because I didn't know if any, and I was going to the door to fervently knock on the door and say, your house is on fire. But before I could do that, they were all coming out of the house. So there's a fervency to, to, to prayer. Um, but in essence, I, anybody else before I, we move on to the last point? In essence, it's all meant to try to gain merit and favor with God. So... Uh, like like um, Travis said, you do it over again and over again and over again. And if you do enough of it, you hope it's good enough. And then you hope you're good enough before God. doesn't work that way. It's th that, but there are millions of people who are caught up in trying to gain merit with God. Um, and so that's a confused motive. And so when we talk about fasting... Uh, not eating and setting time aside, your fasting is not to gain merit with God because we can't. It's to just humble yourself before God, um, to have control over your own flesh. So we move on to the last point. That's the consecrated motive here. So again, in these several verses, so again, verse 16, moreover, when you fast, so there is an expectation. That's kind of what brought this whole lesson on because we were in the book of Acts last week. In fact, on your handout is Acts chapter 13. And this is the early days of the church. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. So the early church fasted. The early Christians fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Or in Acts chapter 14, and when they had ordained them elders in every church, for those of you that don't know, elders are the same thing as pastors in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So again, it was practiced. There's a time set aside where they didn't eat, and they would just spend time in prayer, and they would set that time aside. 
Um, I don't know if any of you have ever fasted and prayed before. Um, uh, but it's a, it is a time where you just... Um, well, I've, I practiced... I haven't always practiced fasting, but in my years of ministry, I have fasted and prayed. And uh, it's just, I usually will drink and I will not eat for a period of time. And I'll just spend that time in prayer um, for, for numbers of reasons, for different reasons. Uh, and it's just a humbling of yourself before God. So it's an expected exercise, but we don't really talk about it much today. What would be some reasons that you might, let me just throw this out real quickly. What would be some reasons that you might spend time in fasting and, and in prayer? Yes. For guidance in something. Maybe there's a big decision in your life and you just really need to sense the leading of the Lord in your life. So it might be a time where you say, well, on Thursday, from sunup to sundown, I'm going to fast and I'm going to spend time with the Lord in prayer. What else? So guidance, that's a good one. Yes. Health. For health reasons. That's a good reason for fasting and prayer. What else? Yes. For wayward children. For God to work in the lives of, of, of your children or, or anyone that you might have a burden for. You know, could be a husband, could be a wife, could be a could be co-worker that you're praying for, for God to work in their life. Yes. My family or friends to be saved. Yes, Jim. Right, kind of guidance. Yeah. Good. What else? You think, yes, Mike. Yeah, just to get closer with God. Do we ever think about that? I need to get closer with God, or do we all think we're as close to God as we need to be? We do think that's part of our flesh. Well, I'm as, I'm as close to God as I need to be. How do I get too much closer? Well, no. Well, how about that? It is part of fasting and prayer. Anything else? Those are all good things. In uh, our country's history, uh, there's been times their presidents have called for fasting, for the people to fast and pray. That's more of a public fast. Um, yes, Jim. Good. True. How about Lent? So what is Lent? Okay, for those of yes. Uh, it's when you give something up. When you choose to give up something possible. Uh, I know people, I, I can't say it, but people say, I give up chocolate. I'll give up, you know. Give up chocolate for the Lord, huh? Well, But what's the, and so Lent, it's just, by the way, it's just not, so many of you who are brought up in Catholicism, there was, but it's just not Catholicism. In fact, in Protestantism, there are Protestants now 
who are beginning to practice Lent as well. So, um, but what was the purpose of it? That's from, for, and I'm asking you that were raised in Catholicism because I was not. Some of you were very involved in it. What was the purpose of Lent? So you, to draw yourself closer to him. As okay. ridiculous as it might seem like if I give up chocolate, you're going to get closer to the Lord. I just, that's what it's about. It's suffering. You're supposedly giving something up out of your own suffering for the Lord. And it can be, and that's the part behind it that's a little funky and funny. It can be anything. Yeah. So it sounds like you had a real problem with chocolate. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Frank, you had your hand up. Yeah, I'm not really sure what that was all about, but, uh, but the Lent thing. So how long is the season of Lent? And why is 40 days? That's how long Jesus was in the wilderness. So let me ask you, let's say you practiced, not, not as a Catholic, but as a believer, 40 days that you decided to fast from something. Could be you really love chocolate and you're just, huh? No, no, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. All right, we'll move on from Travis. I don't want, because those are really good. Um, but you do it in a sense that you're just, uh, you're not trying to gain merit. It's just, that you just want to be appreciative of what the Lord did and to understand he um, suffered and sacrificed for you. Yes, go ahead. And the other thing about that, and this is only because I was part of that religion growing up, is with Lent, everybody wanted to know what you were giving up. So it was a show of, oh, well, I'm giving up this. Like a, almost like a competition of how much you're willing to give up. Yeah. Well, then that would be a corrupt motive. And it became more of a motive of look at me as opposed to what are you really giving up in for food. Like it really became more of a show. Because everybody wanted to know what you're doing. Yes? The thing with fasting also, or, or even with us in prayer and fasting, is the important part isn't just that fasting is to draw us closer to God in prayer. And when you do fast, especially if you do it for any length of time, suddenly the world just kind of disappears from you. And, and I know this, but because you are focusing everything, every bit of energy that you have on, on God and whatever the um, purpose for that at that time is in the as far as Lent is concerned, it was just prior to the crucifixion and stuff. And that was the whole idea, supposedly, was to, you know, do it for God and what he's going through and what's going to happen. But, but like anything else that's done by man that's for man, 
it just it's, it's, it becomes foolish. Not that the idea of giving up something that means a lot to you and 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 using it to show God how much you love Him is wrong. But just being it's it's like like Travis said, it's all a, a big you know. Well, what did you give up? I gave up. You know. Or I'm going to, you know. All right, so if you want to, yeah, I, I, you're, you're right. And the first, like, half of what you said about what prayer and fasting is really all about, that you could, I couldn't say that any better. It's, it's just to block out everything else and for you to spend time in prayer. And there are different, and there are different reasons to, take, to fast from things in your life to make sure that those things don't have more control over you than... Um, relationship with God. So I'll leave you with this, really, I, I look at it now, it's a silly example. When I was a young preacher, I, uh, we had Sunday night services. I was a huge New York Giants football fan. And I've always been a sports fan. And uh, Sunday afternoons, I'd watch the game. And I'd get so upset that sometimes it would have an effect on me. And... Um, I just decided that if this is having such an effect on me, I'm not going to watch these games any longer because it's interfering with my relationship with the Lord. And that's so Sunday afternoons, I didn't. I, I would stop. One year, again, sports, one year, I'm a, I love to watch baseball. I've always liked baseball. One year, I decided I'm not going to watch baseball on TV for the entire summer. And, you, and if you're not a baseball fan, you think, well, what's the big deal with that? I love to watch baseball. I find it extremely relaxing to sit down and watch a game, even if my team is having a bad year, <laughs> which my team is. <laughs> we, went to see, we went to the Yankees the other day. I said, well, we're going to go see the New York Stankies because they just stink this year. But I still like to watch the game. And you might think, well, what's the... Well, you'd be surprised that summer, I listened to it on the radio, uh, how often I wanted to go turn on the TV and watch a game. But there are little things like that in our lives that sometimes it's just good to kind of... How about taking your phones for two weeks and stop, get off of Facebook for two weeks? How about a week? How about two days? How about a day? Or how much control does that have over your life? Right? That's what fasting is about. And um, I was listening to National Public Radio several years ago, because that's all I could get on my car. And I, and I would like to listen, because they'd always tell you what the opposing side believed, so you'd kind of know, you know. But they were promoting a, uh, an electronics-free day where for one day a week, you turned all your electronics off, got away from the television, got away from the, your phones, got away from your computers. Try that for a day or two. See, see how well you can get off of Facebook or Instagram or any of that. Anyhow, that's our lesson. Uh, it's a spiritual exercise. That was the last point and um, a humbling of the soul. 
and um, that's our, our lesson on, on fasting. Let's pray. Father, bless the morning worship service. Let it bring honor and glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.